1: Listen, guys, I got something special just for my listeners. If you follow me, you know I usually don't hawk products. I stick to the issues important to you and me, but I think I can't keep this to myself. You may want to check this out and get in on the ground floor before everyone else jumps on the bandwagon. Now, this is just for you, my listeners. I joined up with Team Earth Water. Earth Water is a company that is faithful based and patriotic earth water is an amazing water it will soon be the rage of the nation and is going worldwide it has over 70 antioxidants in minerals it's good trust me i already sleep better i dropped one of my prescriptions and i'm possibly looking to maybe drop another one soon so ask yourself do you want to make a few extra bucks on the side while getting healthier (laughs) who doesn't so if so check out the earth water link on my home page at Southern Sense. That's the name of the show. Put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. You Woo. Well, we're back. You're here listening to Southern Sense here on Blog Talk, Radio SHR Media, the Lone Star the Daily News, up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, Facebook, YouTube. Oh, heck with it. Go to the name of the show, put a hyphen in the middle, southern-sense.com. I'm your hostess with the mostest, the radio chick, Annie, along with my co-host, the courageous and colorful Curtis C.S. Bennett. Good afternoon, hey. Curtis.
2: Good afternoon,
1: Annie. Oh, man. We've got ourselves a wonderful show here. Uh, we've got two great guests. Ken Timberman is going to join us. He was back with us back in July. Uh, he's got a new book out called ISIS Begins, a Novel of the Iraq War. And on the second half, we have an interesting guest, Jim Schreiner. Uh, He's got a new book out that just released called Jesus Christ, Enough Already. It's a very interesting book. And since I don't agree with some of what he's got in there, it's going to prove to be a bit of a lively conversation again. I want to welcome those listening up here in the studio on Facebook and YouTube, uh, as well as um, elsewhere on the planet. (laughs) And those that are there in the chat room. Um, and you know what i 've had a problem getting the YouTube video up, so just bear with me as I try to get this out onto the other um, the other social networks so i 'm going to start off with the dedication to a fallen hero, and then i 'll get that out to the other networks and I apologize for the delay uh, to that anyone listening in uh, that 's trying to get into the YouTube or Facebook uh, fee. Facebook is up. YouTube is not yet. But those that listen to the show know that we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And today's dedication uh, is going out. Oh, good Lord. And I, I didn't do this either. Holy cow. Am I so far behind on doing stuff? So as I'm talking, I am trying to get up uh, the dedication onto the screen here. Just bear with me for this one. Um, oh, good Lord. I, I'm, I'm so af- back backwards today. <laughs> I don't know. You know, you'd, you'd think I'd hey. have this down after all these years. I'd have it down <laughs> to a, a, a perfect routine and a and a great way of doing this. But uh, today, I'm a little discombobulated, and I apologize for that.
3: Hey, what uh, so happening.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I apologize. <laughs> so I'm I should have the video up here very shortly, and let me push this live. All right, here we go. All right, now we're set. This is from the New York Daily News by Jessica Schladebeck. And today's dedication is going out to Special Agent Melissa S. Morrow of the U.S. Department of Justice, the Federal Bureau of Investigation for the U.S. government. Her end of watch was Thursday, March 22nd of this year. For 10 weeks after 9-11, FBI Special Agent Melissa S. Morrow spent hours upon hours sifting through toxic terrorist crash site at the Pentagon. Fifteen years later, she was diagnosed with brain cancer, and on March 22nd, she became the latest victim of the Al-Qaeda attacks on September 11th, 2001. Morrow, 48, died Thursday, March 22nd, in what federal officials called a line-of-duty death due to her exposure to the poisons unleashed by the fiery airliner crash in the nation's capital. Strength and courage come in many forms. Most give some. Some give all, tweeted her colleagues in the Kansas City field office. Special Agent Morrow will be remembered most as a warrior. She will forever be considered a hero. In addition to 9-11, she was a first responder to subsequent six-alarm warehouse fire in Alexandria, Virginia, where evidence collected from the Pentagon plane crash was stored. The University of Missouri graduate, joined the FBI in Washington after finishing law school in 1995. She transferred home to Kansas City in 2010. She was diagnosed in July 2016 after a sudden and disabling attack of massive headaches, insomnia, and fatigue. Every single day, hour, minute, and second being alive is a precious gift, she wrote in an August 2016 web posting about her health woes. Morrow was assigned to the Pentagon response team in Washington after the terrorist attacks and spent the next two and a half months pulling and processing pieces of evidence from the contaminated site. According to the World Trade Center Health Program enrollment, only 1% of those who signed up to treat 9-11 health issues were first responders at the Pentagon or in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, a total of 488 people. Morrow's ailment was certified by the World Trade Center Health Program on September 11th Victim Compensation Fund. In New York, hundreds of 9-11 first responders are struggling with illnesses linked to their efforts at a smoldering ground zero after the Twin Towers toppled. Exposure to the toxic fumes and dust at the World Trade Center was blamed in those cases similar to Morrow's. And this is from FBI.gov. It's the prepared remarks that FBI Director Christopher Reddy read at Agent Morrow's funeral. It is an honor to be here today to pay tribute to Melissa Morrow, a woman you've known for many years as a daughter, a sister, a friend, and a colleague, and the woman I've come to learn a lot about the past few days. I've come to know Melissa better by learning about her life, a life of service to the FBI and to her country, A life filled with love and laughter for her friends and family. A life marked by a lifelong standing commitment to the people she served in Washington, D.C. and here at home in Kansas City. One of the first things I learned about Melissa is that she was a fighter. Actually, to be fair, the very first thing I learned about Melissa is that she had a laugh you can hear a mile away. A remarkable number of people have described it as a cackle. Melissa's friend and fellow agent, Paige Pinson, said that while she and Melissa had offices furthest away from the executive management, every single person down the hall could hear Melissa laugh every day. There's even a story about how she once laughed so hard that she did a little karate kick and that her shoe flew off and hit her supervisor. In our line of work, that's called an assault, but with not so deadly a weapon. No one pressed charges, so Melissa walked away free and clear. Now I understand I wasn't supposed to tell that particular story, but it paints a great picture of Melissa. The second thing I learned was that when she wasn't laughing, she was fighting. For 23 years, Melissa fought to keep people safe, she fought to put white collar criminals behind bars. She supervised the Child Exploitation Task Force in Washington, D.C., working to find and stop people who prey on the most vulnerable vulnerable among us, our kids. And to her mind, this was rightly some of her most important work. She almost single-handedly set up one of the FBI's first mock child abduction exercise in the Alexandria area. She had actors playing parents and neighbors, and she had recruited local law enforcement to run through the exercise with everyone. She took notes about what worked and what didn't and about what we needed to do differently. She created the playbook we use for child abduction cases. It was that kind of energy and focus and dedication that she gave her the reputation she had. She was an agent, agent. the agent everyone wanted to work with the agent everyone wanted to be around. In the wake of the September 11th attacks she stopped everything she was doing to work 12 hour shifts, 7 days a week for months on end to investigate the attack on the Pentagon and to recover evidence from the crash site. She fought for justice for those we lost she fought to bring peace to their families and she fought to make sure that what happened that day would never ever happen again Melissa was also a mentor to less-seasoned agents. She truly enjoyed it. She sought out opportunities to train people, to grow and develop their talents, and to recruit more good people to come to work for the FBI. As Tom noted a moment ago, Melissa was Paige's training agent when Page started with the FBI 15 years ago. And according to Paige, everything she is as an agent is a product of Melissa's guidance and counsel, And as most people know here, Paige returned that kindness by serving as one of Melissa's caretakers over the past two years, along with Melissa's sister, Angie. Melissa loved working in D.C., but she was thrilled to come home to Kansas City, to the place she grew up, and to the people she loved best. She was filled with pride to be keeping her hometown crowd safe from harm, and she took Kansas City's intellectual property investigations to new heights. It meant the world to her. And that kind of work that kind of investment in the work you're doing exemplified the Bureau at its best, and is all too rare in today's world. We couldn't have asked for a better agent to represent the FBI and the people of DC and Kansas City. Kansas City couldn't have asked for a better protector or public service. But Melissa wasn't just a fighter as an agent. She was a fighter as a woman. As her father liked to say, She was hard-headed in every way. She fought this terrible illness with every fiber of her being. Melissa said that when she finally came to terms with the horrible reality of it all, she had a decision to make. And that decision was to fight it with every ounce of courage and strength she could muster. That's easy to say. It's easy to say you're going to fight, that you're going to be strong. But very few people have gone through what Melissa went through. And that kind of strength is incredible. It takes perseverance. It takes unlimited reserves of energy. It takes an optimism that most of us don't have on our best days, let alone when we're fighting for our lives. And that kind of strength should serve as an inspiration to every single FBI employee. It should serve as an inspiration to all of us. In the FBI family, We talk about courage and bravery and selflessness. We talk about the heroism of law enforcement. But heroism comes in many forms. There's the heroism of those who rush headlong into peril without a second thought for their own well-being. Because every special agent recognizes that making that choice to be an agent might require the ultimate sacrifice one day for another. But there's also a quiet heroism that cannot be discounted. The heroism of the individual who simply does her job with dignity and dedication with a devotion to service, service to her community, service to her country, service at all cost, even when the price to be paid comes much later down the road. How many of us could have fought through what she did with that same quiet heroism, that same sense of humor, that same strength of spirit and the same courage? Now remember, this is a woman who, in high school, insisted upon running the 4 by 800 meter relay with an air cast on her leg so that her team could qualify for the state finals. That's two times around the track in a cast. And according to her sister Angie, she actually ran really, really fast. So maybe you aren't too surprised. Everyone who knew Melissa will miss her strength, her steadfastness, her energy, and her trademark cackle. And we'll remember her for the legacy she left. One of duty and honor and courage and compassion. Of a wife, of a life well lived and a job well done. Today's show is dedicated to Melissa. S. Morrow, Special Agent FBI. Is also dedicated to all those who serve as first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. We also dedicate this show to all those that serve in our military, from the birth of our nation through today and into its future. We dedicate it with the song by Todd Allen Herndon, My Name is America. May God bless each and every one.
3: virtues I stand for. I respect for humanity. Now I'm challenged by Tyra
1: And hopefully I've got my act together. You're here listening to Southern Sense here on Blog Talk Radio, SHRM, the Lone Star Daily News, up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook, all the heck with it. Go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Of course, I'm your hostess with the most just the radio chick, along with my curious and courageous co-host, Curtis B.S. <laughs> Bennett. Curtis, on the line. Let's welcome aboard returning guest and friend of the show, I hope, uh, Mr. Ken okay. Timmerman. Good <laughs> afternoon, Ken. How are you today?
4: I'm doing great. How are you? It's pl- a pleasure to be with you.
1: Oh, I'm I'm just bass-ackwards today, so <laughs> I don't know which end
3: is up. <laughs> so
1: if I flub anything, just forgive me. I'm having one of those, I'd say blonde moments, but I'm more like my senior moment, the gray hair moment. <laughs> um, i got a question. Did you catch any of Trump's speech uh, this morning on in front of the U.N.?
4: I didn't see the speech this morning. I was doing other things, but I know what he was expected to say.
1: Ah, I did, and I was, I was just screaming, a hooray,
4: finally America
1: is giving a strong front. He's saying that we're putting America first. We're securing our borders the same way other countries are, want. They are going to be there for their citizens. They're going to be there to secure their border, and he did an American-first
4: speech. Hooray. Well, that, that has been his message, obviously, since taking office in 2017. He told the Europeans this uh, at, at the G8 conference. He's told them in other meetings at NATO and, and uh, in various international fora. Trump has repeated the same thing. Uh, what we are doing here in our country, finally, is something that we fully expect you to be doing in yours. Put your own country and your interests first. It's normal.
1: Yeah, and on top of that, he did a direct criticism of socialism, saying that it doesn't work; it's a corrupt system. Oh, good Lord! Yeah. And he singled Love out Venezuela. Mm-hmm. Oh, right, Venezuela.
4: Right, <laughs> right. Venezuela has become his uh, his favorite whipping boy, and uh, he talks about you know uh, 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 Bernie Sanders and the other socialists in the Democrat Party here in this country wanting to take us into Venezuela territory with their policies. Uh, I happen to think he's right about that, that 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 would be the effect of socialist policies here in this country. I'm not sure that that is their intention, but that would certainly be the effect of socialist policies. It would bring us into a a world of of tremendous economic hurt, of hyperinflation, of wealth uh, evasion, uh, wealth fleeing the country, uh, investment fleeing the country, and the industry shutting down.
1: Well, you know, forgive me for my perverse, you know, imagination, but I had this, as I was listening to his, his speech, as he was saying, that we have become the strongest nation since I took office, a stronger nation since I took office than we have ever been before. And I had this picture in the back of my head of former President Obama throwing a tantrum tossing things at the TV as he was listening to this, running to Valerie Jarrett, burying his head in her lap and crying, Mommy, 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 make him stop, uh, because it's true. You know, he's actually undoing all these policies of the Obama administration, one by one, unraveling them all.
4: Thank goodness. Uh, you could hear Michelle Obama uh, throwing that tantrum uh, last night, I guess it was. She did a campaign event. Uh, she disguised it as a get out to vote event, but that 's right the The Obamas believe that they were uh exceptional uh leaders that- that Barack Obama was an exceptional leader he He was so exceptional that the American people didn't appreciate him, and they won't learn to appreciate him for another fifteen years that 's his own sense of himself. Uh, these are the things that he said about himself since leaving office and said to his former Um, employees at the White House so he really thinks he's God's gift to earth. Uh, Donald Trump understands he is the voters gift to America. He was put there by the voters and he has a tremendous responsibility to the voters of the United States of America not just those who elected him but to all the citizens of this country
1: What I loved about uh, it is uh, Go ahead Curtis
2: I I was just going to say the sad thing about it is those who follow Iraq, Hussein Obama, they really believe that this guy was like the messiah for the um, liberal, you know, progressive movement. And I think they are all delusional. You know, facts don't matter to them. Results doesn't matter to them. It's just that, um, you know, they believe what they've been taught, brainwashed to believe. And, and that's it. You know, Trump doesn't matter. It was all Obama. And they believe in it.
4: Well, I, I think you're right about that. And, it's, and it's, uh, it is sad that there are increasingly large percent of the American electorate for whom facts do not matter, uh, who refuse to look at facts in the face. I, I recall in the 20, 2008 primary season on the Democrat side, uh, after the very first um, uh, Iowa prime caucuses, uh, Hillary Clinton was accusing Barack Obama of fraud, of busing in people from neighboring states to win the caucuses, and that was the beginning of his ascendancy. Uh, I was uh, – I, I very nearly did a book on Obama right after his election uh, that would be called – that was going to be called fraud because that's what I thought he was. He committed you know, primary fraud, uh, caucus fraud. Uh, he was a fraudulent candidate. He told lies about himself. He deluded people with false expectations, false hopes, uh, and cooked the books wherever he could. And unfortunately, um, there is still a large percentage of the American electorate who falls for that sort of thing.
1: Well, you should do that book, honestly. I I think it would be a great (laughs) book for you to do. It would give us
5: also animals that yeah, it's a bit late for that. I've got you know my my latest
4: book is called ISIS Begins. It's about the Christians of Iraq. I'm going back to Northern Iraq next month uh, to do yet another update. Um, and I think they're pressing things, certainly in in what's going on around the world and and for myself as well. I think uh, defending the Christians of Northern Iraq is more important at this point to me, and I think for my readers than exposing again, Barack Obama. People know he's a fraud. And if they don't know he's a fraud, uh, that portion of the electorate is never going to wake up, no matter what you tell them.
1: <laughs> well, you know, we had you on the show back in July, and we discussed your book, ISIS Begins, a novel of the Iraq War. And it's a great read, which I know some of my listeners you know, sent me messages later on that they did uh, by, by your book, which you can download onto Kindle if you don't want to have a hard cover. Um, it's an excellent book, excellent read, and it really paints an excellent picture. Because you first started writing about this back in 2010, and then you went and That's revisited right. it in 2017. Um, and you warned the government as back as far as back as 2008 about the Christian crisis in Iraq and throughout the rest of the Middle East, in any Muslim nation, the persecution of Christians.
4: Yes, unfortunately, we could see it coming at that time, and it was a slow, steady progression of terror and uh, totalitarianism. ISIS was the, the last iteration, if you wish, or the most recent iteration of this jihadist uh, sweep across the Middle East and particularly across Iraq, whose goal was to eradicate the Christian presence once and for all That's what their goal was in Iraq They came very close to it There are only about a quarter million Christians left uh, And when I go back there next month uh, One of my goals is going to be to, 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 to see if the U.S. government Under this president Is doing everything that we can To help Christians To return to their historic mm-hmm. homeland In the Nineveh Plain In the area around Mosul uh, Or whether that aid that uh, the president and secretary of state, Mike Pompeo have said uh, is designated to help Christians is being siphoned off by other others in the region, such as the Kurds uh, who seem to be very, very good at siphoning off aid.
1: Well, that's, that's very true. And, you know, it is because I know when the Yuzi- Yazidis were caught up on the, on the mountaintop, you know, Not I belong Saint-Jos. to the Anglican church and, uh, Yes, I I belong to the Anglican Church, and uh, the bishop, um, the archbishop, came from uh, London and was doing a sermon. And we actually raised money to help them, to get them supplies up onto the mountain. You know, there are Christian organizations out there trying to help, but the word's not getting out. You hear more about uh, these uh, Muslim, quote, refugees Uh, Then you hear about the persecution of Christians, and you have Christians being jailed daily. You have converts that are being uh, taken to court and sentenced to death. Um, There was the uh, incident that you wrote about Akbar Muhammad. I probably mispronounced his last name. Right. Did I? Right. That was from Iran. Right.
4: Right. No, you're absolutely right about that. And I happen to miss that speech. I'm also an Anglican. We have uh, uh, Canon White in Baghdad, who for years and years has been trying to keep the flame alive and the church alive in Baghdad itself. He's an Anglican uh, priest and an Anglican Canon. Uh, but, uh, you know, far too many Americans um, are not aware of what's happening to the Christians in the Middle East or do not care and I think one reason for it is is potentially sectarian, because the overwhelming majority of the Christians being persecuted are Catholics or Orthodox, in other words, Eastern Orthodox. And it's a, it's a shame that 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 we as brothers and sisters in the Christian faith, uh, who believe in the body of Christ, which extends worldwide and has members and fingers and toes and legs and arms, right? Is the the metaphor of the body of Christ all around the world, and if one member of the body of Christ is being persecuted or is, or is being harmed, is being, being hurt, uh, then all the rest of the body suffers as well. And we don't take that message as seriously, I believe, here in the United States as we should.
1: No, not at all. You know, just a little side fact because you know I was originally raised Catholic and I left the church because I saw the 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 way it was going and I wasn't happy with it. I felt more conservative in my beliefs and sticking to the scriptures. But here you have now uh, Pope Francis is recognizing uh, bishops and cardinals in China that were appointed by the Chinese government, not appointed by the Pope. So. He's catering to a communist regime, but that's not going to get him converts to the Christian, faith, to the Catholic faith. I think instead it will send those Christians to other Christian denominations. I think it's going to backfire on him big time.
4: This has yeah. never happened
1: in the history of the papacy. All
4: right. I, I don't like to make negative comments about a sitting pope who is supposed to be, you know, the, the, certainly the head of the Catholic Church, not the head of all Christendom. But uh, certainly Pope Francis uh, is cut from a very different cloth from other recent popes, Benedict and John John Paul II in particular, uh, who stood up for freedom and who stood up for Christianity, for Christendom as a whole, Benedict in particular, against the onslaught from jihadi Islam. Pope John Paul, of course, stood up for uh, all free peoples, Christian or whatever denomination, against tyranny. And in this case, it was against communist tyranny, right, in Eastern Europe and the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. You don't see Pope Francis doing the same thing, and it's uh, a shame, I think.
1: Yeah, it is. And like I said, I think it's going to send those people to different uh, uh Denominations, because I know we do have a heavy presence uh, through the Anglican frontier in China. As a matter of fact, I've got friends over there right now uh, serving in their ministry, and the stories they send back are, are absolutely amazing. Um, and they're saying that China has the largest growing uh, Christian community. It's going to far exceed any other uh, thing there. Um, But then again, the Chinese government is trying to control it. So if they can't control it, then they'll squash it. But this is what Christians are facing, not just in the Middle East, but also in the communist nations.
4: Absolutely right, China and North Korea, and, 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 uh, and North Korea does not have an official church as far as I know, but China does, and that's what you're talking about, the official church and the bishops that are being recognized by Pope Francis. Uh, Iran, uh, another country uh, in this situation, has an official church, by the way, Anglican as well as Catholic, uh, that is recognized by the regime, and then you have – uh, this tremendous house church movement, this underground church movement, that's what you have in China as well. And and that's what leads people to say that, that China is the uh, country that is uh, w- w- the fastest growing Christian uh, country in the world because of all the people joining these underground or illegal churches. We have to make sure people understand that difference between a legal church and an illegal church when you are in A country, a totalitarian country or a communist country or an Islamist country, uh, the legal church, if there is one, is forced to uh, compromise and and really, uh, you know, I think in many cases to to compromise its core beliefs in order to continue to exist. Uh, So you have this underground church movement, and that's where the life is. That's where the freedom is. uh, That's where the vibrancy is. Uh, and it 's tremendously important to to try to key into that uh, in all of those three countries, China, North Korea, and Iran. you have this underground church movement, and it 's tremendous
1: it is it is, and that 's where my friends are working in this underground movement because if people don 't realize that these will recognize these official churches, they will have spies in there so they if they don't if for example in China, if you have a foreigner enter that church, you know, if you're a, like from America, whatever, you can go into that church. But if you're a local, if you're someone local, no, you can't. You're, you're barred from it. You know, if you preach the wrong way, the church will be closed down. If they find that someone goes in there that doesn't belong, according to them, the church would be closed down and then the members would be persecuted. It is really a frightening existence. Where, And these underground movements, most of them we call them house churches because they literally are in people's living rooms. You know, People will say, hey, we're going to gather at so-and-so's place, and that everyone will show up for a service or for a meeting or for just a prayer. Uh, this underground movement is amazing, and it's spreading the word, and the word is going far. You mentioned heavily Iran, and you're heavily involved in the freedom movement over there. You've actually got a website uh, put up, and forgive me, I didn't write it in my notes. What's the name of the website so people can go to it and help support you?
4: Uh, it's pretty simple. It's Iran, as in the country. Iran.org. Uh, and uh, so we've been working on this as the Foundation for Democracy in Iran, and I've been working in this area since 1995. Um, we don't raise a lot of money, and we don't spend a lot of money, but we do an awful lot of things um, in the background. Uh, I work personally with uh, defectors from Iranian intelligence organizations and have done that for years. I brought a number of them uh, into a U.S. courtroom Uh, In New York, in the case uh, brought by victims of the September 11, 2001 attacks uh, against Iran. And so we had defectors from Iranian intelligence telling the court what the government of Iran and its intelligence services were doing to help al Qaeda and to further the al Qaeda conspiracy to attack America on 9-11. So this is a it's activist work. Uh, it's often behind the scenes. Uh, There are times, though, when it becomes very, very public, as it did with the 9-11 case, and we had a tremendous success. Uh, The court in New York uh, brought justice, it gave justice to the 9-11 victims based on the testimony that we brought into the court from these defectors and others uh, and awarded over $10 billion in damages to the 9-11 victims against the government of Iran. You know,
1: it's... uh... It's funny because everyone was screaming at Trump when he came into office saying, I am putting sanctions on Iran. And they're going, wait a minute, what about Obama's old Iran deal? And Trump has put his foot down. And he says, no, I'm, put, I'm doubling down on this. I'm going whole hog in on Iran and putting sanctions. But we have an agreement. Yeah, an illegally a negotiated one. Uh, but since then, uh, the United States withdrew from that nuclear deal. 31 European and Asian firms in the global 500 have announced their intent to exit the Iranian market. And these companies include Airbus, Peugeot, Denmark's Maersk, that's one of the largest shipping companies in the world, uh, Elance, Siemens, uh, Mazda, Mitsubishi, BP, uh, among many. So it looks like Trump's decision to put these sanctions
4: is working. Uh, It absolutely is working, and the Europeans are just tearing their hair. They can't figure out what to do. They are meeting almost constantly, day and night, to try to put together a strategy to counteract um, the United States at this point and to continue doing business with Iran so their companies do not get whacked by secondary sanctions from the U.S., and they're failing. (laughs) They're failing every single day. And you just mentioned those 31 companies. They're they're even more. Every day, another one announces that they will renounce their contracts or their business in Iran for fear of having to give up the American market. The U.S. market is simply too big for most countries around the world to jeopardize. They don't want to give up their business in America to do uh, uh, um, chicken little business in Iran. No, they
1: don't. And uh, Mike Pompeo went over there to do a speech, uh, but the interpreter wasn't actually interpreting correctly what he was doing, did, did he?
4: Well, uh, which speech you're referring to now?
1: Um, it was the one where the Muslim Brotherhood ended up sitting behind him, uh, and he was calling one Christian group by a different, completely different name when uh, Pompeo was saying about supporting the Christians in Iran.
4: Well, uh, if you're talking about the the recent um, uh, ministerial that he had in Washington uh, where he called for support for Christians around the world and persecuted Christians in particular, uh, I I don't know who was doing the interpretation, but it was probably the voice of America. And unfortunately, we've had huge, huge problems with VOA since uh, President Trump has taken office. Uh, uh, I I got very much involved in that In the first year of the Trump administration Uh, The the White House does not control The Voice of America And you had the Voice of America uh, Financed by the United States taxpayers To the tune of $770 million a year You had the Voice of America Broadcasting anti-American propaganda Paid for by the U.S. taxpayer It was really quite a disgrace
1: so Has anything been done about that, or we still have a problem with them?
4: We still have a problem the uh, The administration has been a little bit slow to nominate a new head of the broadcasting board of Governors, which is the oversight board that controls Voice of America and our other you know people don 't realize we have we have uh, dozens of u s taxpayer fund, in fact scores of u s taxpayer funded radios, televisions, and internet outlets whose goal mandated by Congress is to tell America's story around the world in different languages. So we broadcast in Russian, in Mandarin, Chinese, uh, in Vietnamese. And uh, we used to broadcast in Polish. We broadcast in Portuguese, into Brazil, in Farsi, into Iran, Arabic all around the Middle East. And some of those uh, networks are doing a very good job uh, early in the game uh, for, for whatever reason, the White House did manage to replace the head of the Middle East Broadcasting Network with somebody who's very, very good. Uh, and so now our Arabic language broadcasting is up to snuff and doing pretty well. But it's just, it's separate from Voice of America. The Voice of America is still in the hands of pro-Hillary Clinton, pr- Barack Obama appointees who despise President Trump, who despise this Uh, uh, legally elected government in the United States and are seeking to uh, tell the world a very different story than the one that uh, America is now telling the world through the voice of uh, President Trump and uh, Mike Pompeo and other elected officials.
1: Well, that's part of the deep state. That's, That's part of the deep state that has to be completely exposed.
2: You bet. Yeah. Ken Go ahead, Curtis. Yeah, since we're talking about Christianity across the world, um, I served in the first Gulf War, Desert Storm, and while I was over there in that area, no other religion was ever allowed in any of those Islamic countries. We could not even wear crucifix or Bibles, you know, while we were in country. And you could not even think about converting a Muslim to Christianity. Now, can you tell me why I think this will never change, not even through a religious reformation? And I'm talking about Islam.
4: Right. You're talking about Islam, that's right, because Islam uh, considers any Muslim who leaves the faith, whether it's to become an apostate or uh, you know, just, just to leave the faith, and become agnostic, I mean, or, or to become Christian. They consider them as apostates. In other words, people who have abandoned the faith deliberately, and apostates under Islamic law are sentenced to death. To death. It is not just as not just it's not tolerated, Curtis. They actively pursue people who have uh, given up their Islamic faith, become Christians or other religions. This happens in Turkey. It's happening in Iraq today. It happens in Iran and Saudi Arabia. It's happening all over the world. And it's uh, something that uh, President Trump has actually spent time on. Mike Pompeo has spent time on during this this recent ministerial on international religious persecution. And they're trying to win commitments from leaders in Saudi Arabia, from Kuwait, from Iraq, countries that are allied to the United States, that they will no longer do this. Uh, Will that happen? Will they be successful? I don't know. Uh, I think, though, they are making progress. uh, And as the president says, we'll just have to see. But they're up against all of the dogma, the doctrine of the Quran and of Sharia law, in other words, Islamic law. And you know, so so to get commitments from these countries, the lead, the political leaders of the countries have to say in public, well, we are going to not enforce Islamic law because we believe in freedom or because we have an ally in the United States. That can be a very sketchy pro- uh, prospect in those countries. So we'll have to see.
1: Now that we definitely have to see because we're fighting Sharia law here in the United States as it is. You've got whole areas of Dearbornistan uh up there with Somalis that just seem to take over the whole area. It's like a no-go zone. It's become, and so we have to fight it here also.
4: That's absolutely right. Uh, Dearborn, I'm I'm pretty familiar with. That's not the Somali. the Somali areas. I think are up in Milwaukee and up in uh, Minnesota, Minneapolis. But uh, Dearborn is full of Lebanese Shia for example, uh, Iranian-backed mosques, uh, but also they have a large Sunni population. And you're right, they are no-go zones. People have been um, uh, arrested in Dearborn for trying to hand out the gospel, according to uh, St. John, uh, to people at public events.
1: Well, there was, uh, I forget the name, um, Parsa? there was a pastor pastor that was originally uh, a Muslim became a Christian pastor. And he went to the mall of America just recently. He was arrested because Somali women were, saw him there and was questioning him. They were asking him about his faith, why he converted. And he was having a one-on-one conversation with his people. Very pleasant. They were just curious and a pleasant conversation, but a woman working in a coffee shop who happened to also be a Somali Muslim saw this. She, uh, she approached the pastor, and she chewed out the women. She yelled at them, and she told him to stop. He can't do this. He's not allowed to do this. He was actually arrested in the mall and told he could not talk to these women. He was put in handcuffs. And then um, I'm trying to remember the name of the uh, – began with the book. Bloomington? Bloomington police showed up, handcuffed him, and brought him to the station house. Now, this is a man that had been arrested beaten and tortured because he left islam and became a christian he escaped he came to america he became a pastor he has a a church but he was arrested because he had a conversation with muslim women talking about his christian faith it it happens here
4: it happens here is absolutely shocking uh and it's something that i really applaud you for bringing this to your listeners Uh, it's important that people understand it we cannot allow creeping Sharia law to come into the United States. You have courts in New Jersey, for example, uh, judges in New Jersey who have uh, allowed Sharia law decisions to stand up in the courtroom. And these are decisions in family law. For example, when a, when a man uh, beats his wife and says, Oh, well, that's okay. Under Islamic law, I'm allowed to beat my wife. Or when a, uh, a, a brother, uh, tries to murder his sister because he believes that uh, she has um, somehow offended the honor of the family by dating a non-Muslim. This is called an honor killing, and, and there have been honor killings in the United States. I wrote a book about that, a novel about that, a number 10 years ago, actually, called Honor Killing, and it, and it looks at uh, an honor killing in a Pakistani Muslim family in the Washington, D.C. area, uh, and it's something that is considered perfectly... Normal under Sharia law, it's appalling, and uh, frankly, Americans really need to wake up to this.
1: And that we have to know the truth about Islam, and I, it's something I'm going to be discussing with my next guest because in his book he he throws you know uh, Christianity and is and Muslim, Islam together in one lump, and we have to have a deep discussion with that one. Um, but he, most Americans don't know the truth about. Islam. They have not read the Quran. Most people that are adherents to Islam have never read the Quran themselves. And I say all the time, if, if someone with a good heart actually and claims to be a Muslim actually read the Quran cover to cover, they would leave that faith in a heartbeat.
4: Well, and, and it's a very good point, and and you are right that most Muslims have not read the Quran. Why? Because up until relatively recently, uh, the Quran was not translated. Uh, from the original Arabic, and so you could not get a Quran in uh, Malaysian languages, for example. You couldn't get it in Chinese. You couldn't read it in English. Uh, over the past 30 to 40 years, the Quran has been translated. Uh, the Saudis have paid for a lot of those translations. Uh, but um, it, it's true in in many many places around the world, Muslims do not know what the Quran actually says, even in the country such as Iran. Uh, where they speak Farsi. The, over, the, the national language is Farsi. Uh, the mosques read the Koran in Arabic. And so you have lots and lots of uh, Iranians who don't know what they're hearing from the Quran. They're being told one thing, and then the Quran itself says something completely different.
1: Well, I know we have you for a few minutes more, so I want to shift the subject to something everyone is talking about today, and that's what's going on with the Kavanaugh circus. And something came to my attention as I was doing my uh, my background on this on this uh, and it was really curious because her, his accuser, Dr. Ford, has scrubbed the social media of everything well, not all of it disappeared, and according to uh infowars and take it with whatever because some people love Alex Jones some don't, but he actually had a screenshot up of her uh, uh, Beautiful. and it turns out she was uh-huh. one heck of a party girl with one heck of a reputation uh where she bragged about her and her friend having these sex parties all over the place and going from different colleges and conquering the boys there saying they liked them younger because they can you know, have fresh what's fresh what's new it this girl was no innocent child
4: uh, no she was no innocent child and uh uh, it was, uh, you know, party girls. They, it was a, Holton Arms was a party school, uh, and and when you read those, uh, those the excerpts from those yearbooks, which have been taken down, by the way, since they were uh, first exposed, it's, I don't want to say it's shocking, it, it's, but it's, uh, it's very explicit, and you know they talk about unconsciousness, passing out at parties as being a requirement. For a Holton Arms sophomore Or or senior or whatever Uh, you got to pass out at parties Get so drunk that you pass out And don't have any recollection Of what you've done And it just raises the whole It raises a question Of uh, what's being called Recovered memory Uh, This woman, uh, Christine Blasey Ford Is claiming that she recovered Her memory of a drunken Passed out party When she was 15 years old As a sophomore in an elite, an elite school uh, in Bethesda, Maryland, uh, and 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 she recovered it thirty some years after the event, with the aid first of a psychotherapist and later with her lawyer, and it just sounds to me, because she's has a she also has a background as a left wing activist, it sounds to me that um, uh, that she just. Was, was uh, She saw an opportunity to go after President Trump's Supreme Court nominee, uh, made a connection uh, either artificially or through suggestion with Brett Kavanaugh, Kavanaugh who says he never met this woman, uh, the f- three other people that she cited in addition to Kavanaugh at this alleged party, uh, none of them can remember the party. None of them can remember seeing Kavanaugh together with her, and none of them have any recollection of any incident remotely similar to what she's described. So it's really, um, you know, it just it it really begs the question: How far do we want to go in this country of uh, uh, allowing anybody to bring any accusation to the public uh, forum, forum? without supporting data to smear the reputation and to harm the families of innocent people. The real victim here at this point is Judge Kavanaugh, his wife, and their two young daughters. It's not Christine Blasey and If she If she had been a victim, she had, she had had, she's had 35 years to demand some kind of reparation, whether through the legal system or, or some other way. She hasn't done so. Uh, and and I understand that women, the, the many many cases where women uh, don't want to report uh, sexual assaults or sexual abuse, I get that. You know, the, the, I think we all get that. But this is she's thrust herself willingly into the limelight, into the public, uh, uh, you know, right into the eyes of the public to attack and to smear a an upstanding public servant, and she has not a single shred of evidence to back it up. And she acknowledges that. It's, do we want to live in this kind of country?
1: No, we don't. We honestly don't. And I watched that interview last night up on Fox News and just watching him and, and his wife when they were answering. And some of the, the questions were rather explicit. And I I, I felt very uncomfortable, uncomfortable listening to that uh, interview. But he held it... Uh, unbelievably well and she was Martha McCallum was pushing on some of the questions and he stood his ground he stood his ground firmly and some of the questions she was asking would have forced him to take one side or the other in in a political stance whether or not you're going to support Democrats or Republicans and he was very very judicial I thought he made a point for the American people that uh, everyone should see that interview
5: it, it was a painful
4: interview. I agree with you. Uh, it was painful to watch. Uh, for sure, it must have been very painful for Judge Kavanaugh and his wife. Uh, I really just can't imagine what they're going through at this point. Uh, it's disgraceful. It is a public disgrace. Shame on the Democrats who are uh, calling, you know, uh, uh, you know, supporting this process. They they really want to turn our country into something unrecognizable, uh, with, you know, there are no, uh, there are just no standards of behavior or judicial standards for that matter. There no, they, they want to really uh, abolish our judicial standards of a fair process, of due process, of confronting your, your accuser, uh, all of the things that we've been brought up to believe that are enshrined in the U.S. Constitution.
1: You know, It's funny, you when know, you think about these circumstances, they always come from the left. You had Tawana Brawley, in which an ADA committed suicide over that, and he was completely innocent. You had the Duke University, and the, the tragedies that have come out of that. It's always coming from the left. Uh, it
4: true. is always coming from the left. That That's absolutely true.
2: You know, Go um, ahead, Curtis. when I think about it, the worst I ever did in college— was to ride around with a bunch of frat sisters and, um, I mean, sorority sisters and frat brothers, and we stopped at intersection, get out the car, run around it, and get back in. But also during those days, there was this fad going around where um, the guys would go in front of the girls' dormitories and streak, you know, run butt naked. I'm telling you, I, I wonder if some of those guys who did that back then who have pictures taken of them are sweating today because that might show up <laughs> and you know, come well, back to uh, haunt them.
5: Well, you're right, Curtis. I, and you things, know, I struck. Right. And, and, and you do and crazy right, Curtis, things in college.
2: You do
4: crazy things in college. Everybody does crazy things in college. And, by the way, if you don't, there's probably something wrong with you. Uh, now, sexual assault is obviously not – a a crazy thing in college one would want to to be recommending to kids to undertake, and I don't think uh, very many uh, kids do uh, uh, things like that. But you're right. There are are plenty of other embarrassing things that uh, all of us have done in college and that if there were photographs or people were talking about them today, uh, we probably wouldn't be very happy. And, again, I would submit to you that's not the kind of country we want to live in where you're being held to account for things that happened 35 years ago, which at the time were considered perfectly normal. And I'm, I'm now referring to what you have just mentioned explicitly, not to sexual assault, obviously.
1: No, obviously not. I want to thank you for joining us. I saw there was a caller up in there, but you're going to have to hold on because we've got our next guest lined up. So, uh, Ken, thank you for joining us. People can find you at your name, KenTimmerman.com, and your latest book out is a must-read ISIS Begins, A Novel of the Iraq War. God bless you for the hard work you do, sir.
4: Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure to be with you. So thank you.
2: Take care. Right,
1: check out Ken, Timmerman, Ken Timmerman.com. Let's bring up our next victim to the show. We want to welcome aboard the show Jim Schreiner. He is the author of a newly released book called Jesus Christ, Enough Already. Good afternoon, Jim. How are you today?
5: I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for having me on the show.
1: Oh, it is our pleasure. Um, I had I read your book, and we're going to have a discussion over it, uh, but I want to uh, talk to <laughs> <Okay>. you about <laughs> uh, some of the things that are going on lately. And recently we've had these uh, uh, sex scandals coming out of the Catholic Church. Yeah. Now, like you, I was raised Roman Catholic and like you I left the Catholic Church and went to a different de- denomination um but these are things you heard about you whispered about you heard whispered about behind the back of stuff going on and now it's finally being exposed and I was listening to a news report and I stopped and I looked at my husband and I said did I just hear what I just heard that was possibly as many as 3,000 cases that they have uncovered within the United States and the Catholic church.
5: It's its its mind blowing. As a matter of fact, I mean, I hate to use the word epidemic, but it is. And you'll read in my book, Jesus Christ enough already that I came within minutes myself of being molested. My best friend did in fact become molested and I'm sad to say ended up committing suicide. And it's, it's a life changer, and a lot of people didn't even believe me when I was telling these stories. Now, again, you're talking—you know—I'm 56 years old, so this happened when I was like 12, maybe 13 years old. So you're talking about—you know—well over 40 years ago, and so uh, gradually people are trying to shed light on it. But it is still, to date, a true epidemic, and I mean, it's—it's it's the largest cover-up, and I believe it's the—it's the largest blemish on humanity going all the way back to even the Holocaust. I think it's that bad. One of the things I want to propose, I don't know how I'm going to be on the show, but one of the things I want to propose is I have a lot of, you know, people coming after me and, you know, saying certain things. And what my job is very simple. Right now I think we need to protect the children. That's the only, that's the only thing that I'm trying to do is to protect the children. And by doing so, a, a retired physician friend of mine made this suggestion. I want you to think about something. If you go to your doctor right now, you're not even allowed to be in the, in the room alone with your physician. There's either a nurse or another physician there. I don't know who, who implemented that, but it's a great strategy. It's a great plan. So my proposition is that while we're trying to sort out this mess, we need to protect the child. So there should never be a priest alone at any time with a child. Really should never be alone with anyone. But right now we need to protect the child. And it's like putting a dash camera in a police officer. There are some good priests out there that are doing good works. So by putting an advocate in the room protects them because now if they have nothing to hide, why would they not want an advocate in the room? Because it protects them and the child. And if you are a bad priest and you're a pedophile, well, having that person in the room is now going to protect the child. So before we talk about anything, I'm proposing that the world stands up and says while we try to clean up this mess our first responsibility is to stop it in its tracks from happening anymore because that's what people don't understand it's still happening and it's still an epidemic so it needs to be stopped right now and that that's my proposal that's what i'm traveling the country promoting my book jesus christ enough right and that's my big message is right now we need to stand up and protect the children so i wanted to put that out there before you start asking any questions
1: Oh, you have me
5: 100%
1: in agreement. It does bring up some interesting uh, problems that will have to be worked out with your proposals. You know, for example, in the Catholic faith, you you have the thing of confession. So that should be confidentiality. Uh, How do you then protect the child uh, and protect that confession? Um, That would be interesting. You Um,
5: You know, I get that question all the time. I get that question all the time. But what's, you know, think about this. Seriously, what's more important? The confession possibly being heard by a third party or a child being molested come on don't i mean the two aren't even in the same category we shouldn't even be having that conversation you know so there has got to be a way that they can put an advocate in the room uh you know like i said there's got to be a D, I mean anybody i don't care who it is even the parent of the child i don't know but somehow we've got to take that off the table and again what's more important somebody accidentally hearing a confession, or a child being molested, and that's a no-brainer. So we, we need to just nip that. There's got to be a solution. So in the, you know that's why I'm putting it out there. I don't have that answer. But like I said, it, think about it. When you go to your doctor, what you say to your doctor is protected. You know, they, that's, that's protected. Whatever you say to your doctor, he can't tell someone else. Well, they have somebody else in the room, so they figured it out. Well, and I don't recall doctors being accused of molesting patients, So I don't know why that even became installed, but they figured it out. Like if you go to your doctor now, there's an advocate in the room. So I'm saying that in the the midst of us trying to solve this epidemic, the first thing we should be doing is protecting the child. And I I talk about that in my book. I expose a lot of the corruption that's going on inside organized religion, and it, it just has to stop. And I guarantee it, we've all at one time raised our hands in the air and said, Jesus Christ, enough already. When is it going to end? And I had seen so much garbage inside the organized religion that my wife and I wrote this book, and I just finally said enough is enough. The world needs to hear what's going on, and that's why we wrote the book.
1: Yeah, well, just a little side note here. Uh, I do know why the doctors now have someone in there in the room, because there was a dentist in Hempstead, New York. As a matter of fact, it was a dentist my mom used to take us to. Uh, that was arrested. Wow. Several women came forward saying that once they were put under anesthesia, he actually attacked them. He raped them, and some of them he fondled, some of them he raped, and he ended up going to prison for that. And mm-hmm. after that,
2: the I, I recall that. Said, I well, recall that. But
1: yeah. Yeah, the dentist was from Hempstead, New York, and I think there was another case that popped up later on after it. Uh, but ever since then, that was back in the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s. That Boy, that brings up some memories. Wow.
5: Um, anyway. <laughs> yeah, I, all, I there do are recall that making you, news. Yeah,
1: yeah. Y- yeah. I was living in uh, – we were living in Westbury, and my parents went on the other side of Hempstead Turnpike to a dentist. And he was right on Hempstead Turnpike in Hempstead. Um, you're, you are, have been suggesting to Netflix that you wanted to do a TV series, bringing together different members of different faiths and having a conversation and asking certain questions. Tell us about this proposal that you've got before them, and if it's going to matter it fact, looks it's, like actually, going to happen. it's actually
5: taken. It, yeah, it's actually taken some traction. As a matter of fact, tomorrow, as we as we speak, as a matter of fact, right before I called you, I was actually working on my presentation. I was asked to present this this idea. To a group of people that think they might be able to get it turned into a show, and we even—I was just up in Boston. I, I produced TV commercials, and I was in Boston. I actually shot kind of a pilot to the idea, and then we're going to sizzle it down to make a sizzle. Here's the concept. What happened? I don't know. Obviously, if you read in the book uh, on April 26th of this year, my wife literally died in my arms in my beach house. I'm and, sorry. Um, my front you door. My I, I, door. I, I, I and 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 it, it's a game changer. It's a fine. it's a life changer. I mean, it, I mean, I still cry every day. So what, what happened, the front door of my house became like a revolving door, and everybody was coming in and paying their condolences, but then they were also giving their theories of where my wife went. So I kind of made a game out of it, and I, I needed something to make me feel better. So I, everybody that came into my house, I asked them. I said, you know, we cremated my wife, and we spread her ashes in the ocean, but when she died, where did she go? And you would be amazed. At the answers And I was just blown away And I said, the world needs to hear this So then, shortly thereafter I did what I called a 30-day church-a-thon So for 30 days I visited as many churches As many religious organizations From Buddhism to Hinduism to Islam To Catholic, Christian Anywhere that they would let me in the front door And I walked in and, and, and just was being honest And said, look, I'm struggling with my spirituality My wife recently died I'm really having a hard time dealing with it. Could you answer me one question? Where did she go? And I'm telling you, the answers would blow your mind. So I came up with this idea called Defending My Faith. And what I want to do, and here's here's why I'm proposing it. What we've got to do is, is as an, as a world, as a culture, my wife and I practice what we call humanism, humans looking out for other humans. What I need to get across to people is, I believe that we're all seeking the same destination, but there are several pathways to get there, and whether you want to admit it or not, no one knows the exact answer, otherwise we wouldn't even have this conversation. All we have is theories, and there are a lot of theories floating around, and I want people to hear these theories so that they can listen to what the opposing argument is. You know, you got a Christian that's, that's, that's pointing at an Islam person And saying hey you, you guys are crazy And then they're saying the same thing about Christians And Jews and you know it's all over the place And what I'm trying to do is try to find Some common ground and say As an example I, I shot this pilot and we interviewed Seven people from different Religion aspects from different mentalities And they all seven gave Different opinions as to where My wife is but what's fun What I, what I enjoyed is I, I love each and every one of these people. I respect their position, and they respected my position. I didn't judge them and say, oh, you're an idiot, and that's just the stupidest thing I've ever heard. No, I didn't. I said, you know what? That's a great analogy, and I'm, I'm glad I got to talk to you because now I have a better understanding of what you believe, what your position is. I can still love you, and I can still respect you as a human, but I may not necessarily agree with you as at your religious or your spirituality perspective so that's what i'm trying to do i'm trying to get my i when i travel i use a term called standing in my own truth and what that means is i was born in catholicism and then christianity southern baptist christianity and i had never ever looked at any other religion never looked at evolution i never looked at uh, at judaism or hinduism or buddhism and then once i started to now, my mind opened and I started coming up with my own theories, my own beliefs of where my wife is. And it was not based on what my grandparents told me or my mom told me. Or, you know, most people practice a certain religion strictly because of demographics, where they were born. If their grandparents and their parents practiced a certain religion, that's how they raised that child. And that child never had the understanding of what somebody else believed. So, what I'm trying to do is educate the world. On all these different, because I personally believe that all pathways lead to the same place. And what I'm trying to show people is that it's okay that we can agree to disagree. We do not have to be on the same page and we do not have to be on the same path because we're all trying to get to the same place. But in the meantime, we have got to look out for humanity because humanity. In the name of some god or some religion Has done more destruction to humanity Than cancer So we've got to wake up and say Hey I can still love you And respect you And be your friend and not judge you Even though you don't believe Exactly what I believe So that's my cause and that's why I wrote Jesus Christ Enough Ready And now if you go to my website JimShriner.com, You'll see in about a week We'll have the pilot episode up there and we're looking for anybody that wants to be involved, but thinks they can get us in front of a network. I would love to have it on A&E or history channel. We're actually trying to going to try to present it to Amazon is coming out with their own channel. Now. I believe that this is a regular program and I know for a fact, people would tune in because the response to it has been amazing.
1: Well, your, your book is very interesting
5: and you, you can hear the hurt
1: and anger in you in the book. And, uh, but I love it when I interview authors where they speak the same way they write, you know, that someone else didn't write this for them or they didn't try to, you know, pretend there's someone else. Um, And and you actually could hear the pain in your voice. And unfortunately um, not all Christians are the way that you found them in your church that you had left when you became born again. And what I read in there, I looked at them and and I thought about, you know, the false prophets, you know, I, 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 my bishop one day crack, cracked up because I'm walking out of church, and he's standing there greeting everyone, and I'm staring at his shoes. And he goes, why are you staring at my shoes? And I said, you made my day. You made me feel that I came to the perfectly the right church because of your shoes. And he goes, why? And I said, oh. they're old they're beat up. They're not something that, you know, costing you $500. That means that when my donation goes into that plate, first off, you didn't ask me for money. You didn't beg me. You didn't tell me I must tease. You just basically passed around the plate and said, give whatever you feel you can. Or if you can't, don't worry about it. But I said, when I saw your shoes, then I knew that you were honest, and every dollar I put in here will go to the faith and my church does a lot of missionary work they go out they help build uh solar panels for people without electricity help do water filtration they help places that were ravished by the floods and the hurricanes so i know we're going out there not just trying to preach to people but by showing by example what a real christian is and unfortunately you did not have that experience and i'm sorry about that
5: well the the short answer is I did. And I, and Hey, don't get me wrong. The, the, the Christian church as well as people outside the Christian church are doing some great things. I mean, doctors without borders, I've traveled the country and the world and there are some, there are some great humanitarian efforts going on there. But the problem is we're also seeing a lot of, you know, con artists. And what, the two of the things that I saw personally is, you know, my wife had to have both of her legs amputated and you had to be in the room. When, and, and again, coming from Catholicism, Christianity, I mean, I've worked with Pat Robertson and Benny Hinn and Robert Shuler and you name it. And I've been on national television and watching these guys say, hey, you know, we're, we're praying right now and we're growing people new body parts. And I believed it. Why? Because I'm thinking, hey, why would these people lie about something like that? You know, I mean, Pat Robertson and these people, oh, we have missionaries over in other countries, and they're growing new eyes and new ears and new body parts and those type things. So when my wife had to have both of her feet amputated to this disease, and I'm standing in the room, and there was a priest and about five deacons from our church, and the surgeon just came in after removing my wife's second leg. And said, hey, this disease has got now in her spine, and we're going to have to take her back into surgery. And that was one of the first times in my life that I said, Jesus Christ, enough already. Why, I mean, where is this divine miracle that we've been promised? Well, at that time, the, the priest and these deacons are now laying hands on my wife, and they're praying out loud to God to grow her two new legs. And I stopped them right no. in the tra- in tracks. And I, now, now, wait a second. I stopped them right in tracks and said, wait a second. You, you actually believe that you are going to command God to grow my wife's new limbs right out of thin air. And immediately, every, all seven of them said an astounding, absolutely. And I said, that's the largest load of bullshit that I've ever heard. And at that moment, I knew. It's like a wave crashed over me. Not only was my wife not going to grow new limbs, but it had never happened before. We'd been conned. I mean, you can go anywhere and you can watch national TV right now, and there's still televangelists on there that are claiming, "Oh, we're growing new limbs and we're curing cancer, we're giving new food eyeballs." It's not happening. It is not. It's a con. And then, then now I'm working with these other televangelists that are preaching this, you know, prosperity preaching. And I understand there's Bible principles that claim, "Oh, you sow what you reap" and all that. So, oh, send in a thousand dollars and God's going to bless it and it's going to come back tenfold. Well. It, I, I jokingly say in the book, as you probably read, I said it, the, the church is like the casino. If, if you send in your $1,000 and you, you never get your windfall, the church says, well, I guess it wasn't God's plan. But if you do, by, by stroke of luck, your aunt dies, and all of a sudden she sends you a $10,000 check, the church will wave that around and say, see, 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 we prayed about it, and Martha sent her $1,000 in. And now she just got $10,000, like she won the lottery. It's like a casino. They take, it, they, they take advantage of these people, and they promise them riches, basically saying that there's biblical principles that you send your money, and they're going to bless it and send it back tenfold or twentyfold or whatever. And people fall for it. And I was in there for 40 years. I never, ever saw one divine intervention where somebody actually got healed on the spot grew a new limb, or got financially rewarded because they sent their money. And what I did see is people working hard, succeeding in their jobs, being successful because they worked hard. And it wasn't because Pat Robertson or Benny Hinn or Creplo Dollar or one of these guys prayed over, or Mike Murdoch, prayed over your money, and all of a sudden you won the jackpot. It's a con. It's nothing but a con. And that's just got to stop.
1: Well. That, I agree, that has to stop because there are a lot of, as I call them, the false prophets out there. They're out there just yep. to line their own pockets, and it's nothing more. If anyone hears any of that and you're listening to my voice, this, I do agree with you, that there are con honest, but then there are also true faithful. And this is what I, I want to talk to you about because, you know, I left the Catholic Church because I saw it, and then my husband and I just looked around until we found one that was true to the principles of faith. You know, they're not there saying that we're going to grow you limbs or we're going to cure your cancer. We, that's not how God works, and we can't do it. You know, there's ways that he speaks to you, the small, quiet little miracles you do, he gives you, but you have to recognize them for what they are. And I tell this story that um, my father had passed away about five years ago. Uh, next month would be five years. And um, it was the first Christmas without him. And um, I had flown home, and my husband and I had rearranged. We have a huge hall closet. We had rearranged everything, took everything out because we had Christmas ornaments and stuff. We took stripped down that closet completely, put everything aside that's all Christmas. We went through item by item, put everything back in the closet we wanted there because it was getting – it was like Fibber McGee and Molly's closet. You open it, and everything falls on you. So we we did a major spring cleaning on it, and now Christmas is here, and – I had walked past the kitchen table, and we had started to decorate the tree, and we had the ornaments out on the floor. And I walked past the kitchen table, and there was the eulogy with my father's picture on it on the kitchen table. And I reached down with my finger. I kissed my finger and touched his photo. And next thing I know, I heard something hit the floor. And I've got cats, and I'm going, all right, what did they get into now? And I walk out into the living room and look around. I don't see anything around. The cats are all asleep. But the closet is open, it was closed before, and on the floor was a Christmas ornament. And on the Christmas (laughs) ornament said, don't cry for me, I'm spreading Christmas with Jesus. I called my mom and I said, mom, do you know where this came from? And everyone I called, I said, I have never saw this ornament before, never saw it before. But that was a tiny miracle that I, I don't know how it got there. My husband doesn't know how it got there. He has little miracles. We have to look for the little things in life, not the big
5: things. Well, the the challenge is, again, you know, one of the struggles that I have, they're not struggles, it's part of my journey. And, I, and, I, and that's why I said I have to respect people for their opinions. But what happened, we have like seven different leading, what I call leading organized religions. If you go from Islam to Christianity to Buddhism to Hinduism to, you know, all the way down to China, you know, and every one of them says, oh, our book, is in fact the divine-inspired word of God, yours is wrong. And they all all take that position. So what I'm saying is each person should have the right to determine their pathway and be respected for that just because I might not agree. And, you know, I I might not agree with the Bible or I might not agree with the Torah or or the Buddha philosophy or the Quran. That doesn't, that doesn't mean I can't love and respect you. Each person needs to find their individual pathway. That's, that's where I kind of learned. I said, you know what, there are so many religious pathways, and maybe they all lead to the right, the, the thing, to the right spot. So, again, if you want to believe in the Bible, when, again, going back to my original point earlier, one of the challenges is I studied theology under Jerry Rose. I was going to be a pastor, so I was very in-depth into theology. And the challenge is some of these some of these I call them con men. They'll take scripture, and, you know, Jesus supposedly performed all these miracles. He was giving, you know, giving blind people sight, you know, curing all these diseases and stuff. And then, again, according to the Bible, he passed on that healing power to his disciples, and then those disciples passed on that healing power to, to our, our disciples, like the Creflo Dollars. And the, you know, I was, at, I was at Jesse DePlantis where he was doing that, and he still says this. You know, he claims that he was on an airplane. And they were flying through this amazing storm, and he stood up and commanded God to calm the storm, and it did. And, and the whole plane was just in bewilderment. They had never seen anybody command God to do it. That's the largest bunch of bullshit I've ever heard, and people are falling for it. They're, it's just And what they're doing is they're claiming that, oh, God has – and Benny Hinn did it for years. I, I've been in Benny Hinn. I call him concert. Benny Hinn used to claim he was hearing you know, people coming in with cancer and all types of ills. He made a fortune by claiming he was curing people. He wasn't curing anybody. If somebody got better because their body, their immune system, did the job that it was supposed to do and it healed, that's, that's it, period. He never commanded God to do anything. If he did, well, I, I even wrote it in the book. I said, all you, all you faith healers that claim you can do all these miracles… All right, I'm going to bring on a three-camera shoot, and we're going to put it on my big toe. Ever since college, I've had toe fungus on my big toe, and I've tried everything to get rid of it. I don't need a new limb. I don't need new eyeballs. I just want that toenail fungus to go. So if you can, in fact, command your God to perform miracles on command, and I'm not talking about six months down the road or three years down the road, you claim on command, you can tell your God to do these things. I want him to heal my toenail fungus. So bringing all these leaders, these so-called miracle workers, I mean it's simple If you can't heal my toenail fungus How the hell are you going to heal cancer So yeah, I, I jokingly said it, it's, it's a con These people are conning people out of money And if they, if they pray on you If they lay hands on you And pray for you to be healed of cancer And your cancer goes away It's because your immune system Figured out how to defend itself If you die The church takes credit for it And says well, it wasn't God's plan so, like the casino, they always win, and this just this stuff just got not stop because they're preying on the elderly. Hello, Jim. Yeah, my co Curtis. Oh, I'm sorry. He, did, he that's the first time he stepped in. I didn't know he was there. <laughs>
2: hey, it was just so interesting <laughs> to hear you speak. Um, my challenge growing up with religion um, had to do with um, my pr- perspective of religion. You know. I, I grew up thinking that the church, you know, any church, was full of, you know, peace-loving people, you know, let's go out there and get along and, and and things like that, you know. But the reality of it was, as I grew older, I discovered that 80% of the wars in the world were religious wars.
5: In the name of some, yep, yeah, in the name of some God is God. Yeah. And I was
2: just wondering... What are your thoughts about that? You know, how could that be if there's only supposed to be one God and one true well, religion? Well, the, the, the problem is, again,
5: um, I try to say this as as nicely as I can. with Because you know, no matter what you do, you know, somebody's going to get offended. Because Christians say, oh, our book's the right book, the truth, the, the final word. And then the Islam says the same thing, you know, and you go down to Hindu. I mean, there's if you look back in the history of time, you know, we, we've had over 3,000 gods. Our, 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 our world over time has worshipped over 3,000 different gods. Here's the bottom line. And as, as I'm producing this show, Defending by Faith, we're all seeking the answers to, I say two questions. The main two questions are, where did we come from and where do we go? And the truth is, we will never know that. We're just never going to know that. There, there's, there's theories, and everybody has a theory. We can all, we can all speculate, and we can all guess. I mean, atheists say, oh, here's how it happened, and we have the Big Bang, and all this. Christians say it happened this way. Hindu says this way. So again, everybody's throwing out different theories. And until I, I happen to believe in a creator. I believe just like Einstein said, I think the word is, is deism, I'm a deist. You, I don't believe that you can look at the solar system and the universe and look at our human bodies and, and, and believe for any moment that the first spark of life happened by accident. But from that point on, we, we really don't, you know, believe it or not, I've studied it, evolution has done a pretty good job of showing how we got from that first spark of life. But the point is, we all have theories. Everyone has a theory, and if somebody tells you that they know for a fact that there is in fact a God and that that God wrote this book, they're lying. There is no fact. All we have is theory. So everybody's throwing out a theory. The problem is, as you had mentioned earlier, when, when somebody says, hey, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian, and I know for a fact that God created the universe. He wrote this book, and either you believe what I tell you to believe or you're going to hell and God's going to hate you. That, that's how we were raised You know, we raise our children that way I mean, that's a hell of a scare tactic You know, I mean, I still remember it You know, in church From the Catholicism to Christianity In the Bible classes You know, hey, God created the universe He created heaven and hell And either you believe in Jesus Christ Or you're going to hell And God's not going to love you Well, you can't, be, you can't be saying that to a child Because now you're just brainwashing a child Into believing what you want him to believe What we need to do is teach our children To be open-minded And say, look Read the Quran, read the Torah Go to, go to a Buddhist temple uh, Look at evolution Go to the history of science and museum And open your mind To seeking truth And come up with your own theories Because again, all we have is theories there, there is no There is no single person That's going to be able to prove Where we came from and where we're going Because if they did Then we would have one book One ultimate God And we would all agree but we can agree because it's a question that's never going to get answered. Until you die, you're, you're never going to know the answer to those two questions. It's just not going to happen. So in the meantime, what I'm proposing is we need to respect one another's theories because that's all we have, and we've got to be kinder to humanity. And that's, that's why we practice humanism. So again, organized religion, and in the name of some organized religion, we have done more harm to humanity than cancer. You know, in the name of some, you know, it's like, again, you, you need to believe what I'm going to believe or I'm going to kill you. That's what Islam says. Christians say, hey, those guys are a bunch of whack jobs. And if they don't start believing what we're we're going to, we're going to blow them up or we're going to kill them or we're going to blow up abortion clinics. You know, we've got so much hatred. And, again, I know that there's a lot of great things that missionaries do, but there's a great things that humanitarians do as well. It doesn't take a Christian to do a good thing. It doesn't take a religious person to do a good act, you know. I mean, I'm, I'm not a religious person anymore, and I'm still, I think, a very kind human being. I probably do more now for, for humanity than I did back when I was practicing Christianity. You know? So I don't believe that we need to be attached to some formal, organized religion uh, to, to do kind things. Again, I believe that we're all spiritual creatures, and I believe we're all trying to get to the same place. We're all seeking that truth. There's just several pathways to get there, and we need to honor those pathways. And what I'm hoping to do with this television show is show people that look at all these different theories. You know, here's one thing that's kind of interesting. I just shot this show. I told you up in Boston. And two of the people that I had on the show actually believe, and this is what they believe. They believe that, it, like the movie The Matrix, they believe that we are human beings that are part of a small, tiny galaxy, and that galaxy is part of a bigger galaxy, another solar system that orbits through the Milky Way, blah, blah, blah. They actually believe, just like Christians believe in Christianity, they actually believe that we are just a, almost like a vehicle of energy that's been transported from different entities through different galaxies and solar systems. And we're talking about Harvard-educated people. So I'm not talking about some whack job down in the local corner bar. I mean, we're talking about people that are very educated that actually believe, that there are other galaxies and other solar systems out there, and science, now that they're starting to study quantum physics and quantum mechanics and that type of stuff, you know, these guys might not be that far off, off of the truth. Now, does that mean there's a god or no god? No. It just means that the galaxy is bigger than we even think it is. The bottom line is we're all still fighting over those two questions. Where do we come from and where did we go? And I promise you, as long as you and I live and breathe, we're not going to find the answer to those two questions. So we got to figure out a common ground so we can all get along, love each other, be kind to humanity, because we're going to continue to argue about those two questions because we've been arguing about it since the day of time, since the first human walked on this earth.
1: <laughs> well, you know, like you, I believe in a higher authority, and I prefer to be my Christian God. Um, like you, I believe in the treating people humanely, humanism. But that's also the very teachings of the New Testament, humanism. If people were to be true to the New Testament through the the writings of the apostles, and they can prove the writings of the apostles, because at the time, let me, where's my page? Let me get my page. Wait a minute, wait here. wait, a minute, wait a minute. When you say, uh, at the,
5: wait, 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 back up. You said they can prove, they can prove what? They can prove what?
1: The New Testament, you, the writings of the apostles. Explain what you said,
5: that- okay they can prove what because, do you, mean
1: they you can know, prove it explain that experts have come back and verified the manuscripts and the authors of the manuscripts a lot of them were written by uh scribes but by listening to the apostles but the new testament they estimate be written between 440 to 100 AD of which the earliest manuscripts were 130 the full manuscripts were came up around uh 350 AD um, the time lapse between that. And hold be on, hold on. Let me stop either. you there. Let me
5: stop you there. Yeah, but here's the here's the bigger question. I'll I'll contest. I will I will contest that they're going to be able to validate those teachings. But you will never be able to validate the fact. How can you prove that those words are in fact the divine word of God? So now what you're saying is again, it's nothing more than a theory. I, I jokingly said. No. If if uh, if I got wait a minute if I got on a local school bus I mean if I got on a local transit bus and the guy next to me said dude dude I was just talking to God and he had me write all this stuff down and handed me a book and said read this because God just told me this I'd tell I'd have him locked up for being crazy so what I'm saying is the I'll contest that these guys did in fact write those stories but the proof is on you to prove That that God himself told those people to write those words, and that's what I'm telling you. You'll never be able to prove that because the Quran says the same thing. Judaism, what's that?
1: Well, I was just going to say back up because I never read anywhere within the Old Testament or the New Testament that God told them to write these words. From the New Testament, it was the apostles describing what happened with their journey. They described the parables that he told. And if you notice, you know, between Matthew, Mark, John, and all, the the stories are similar, but the words are altered at times. One will describe one portion of what they saw, another will describe a different portion, but still they would describe. I never read anywhere within the Bible that God told them to write those words.
5: Well that's what the, that's what the Christian Church is teaching that this that the Bible is in fact which is the inspired year. word of God. Now watch, but here's here's the challenge two two things I would say: one, we now know through science that eyewitness testimony is the worst testimony, the worst I mean, you can go all the way back to the games we used to play as a child when you'd tell a kid in the front class a word, and by the time they passed it on, it got to the back of the classroom, it was you know ten words and and we now know again. Eyewitness testimony is the least credible testimony in history. And we also know that there is no way to prove that these guys just didn't decide to write these stories just for entertainment purposes. I'm just saying, I'm just saying that's another theory. I was talking to a guy the other day that said, bottom line is the Bible was the Harry Potter of its time. They were – these guys, they were bored, and they were sitting around. And they were trying to come up with ways to talk about – and they were trying to explain the unknown. We're all trying to explain the unknown. That's what we're trying to do. We're all so scared of the unknown. We, uh, what's his name? Um, Neil deGrasse Tyson I think said it best. We're so afraid of the dark, or Richard Dawkins. We're so afraid of the dark that we'll, 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 we'll almost believe anything because we're just so afraid of the dark. We're so afraid of not knowing something that we'll believe about anything. And the problem is, again, those same people. That will tell you that that Bible Was written by these eyewitnesses And it's the divine word of God Islam says the same thing The Quran says the same thing Hell, Satanists say the same thing So again, it all boils down to this. Everybody is claiming that, that their God is telling them To do certain things Or say certain things Or write certain things And all they are is theories And if somebody tells you That, oh, I know for a fact That this is the true word of God that this is the true book that was inspired by God, they're lying. There's no way to prove it. There's absolutely no way. So, Jim. that's that's again, well, that's, yeah. well, that's why we're still having this conversation.
2: <laughs> <laughs> then that, that ahead, says sir. a lot about human nature because when you think about it, Muhammad must have been one exceptional salesman because he's got people out here believing that, you know, it's worth risking their lives as suicide bombers and stuff on behalf of their religious beliefs. Sure. Buddha
5: says the same. I mean, not that they're killing people, but look how powerful the Buddha is. My God, this guy, his teachings are changing a generation. And I don't see him flying planes in the buildings, but Buddha was, was so powerful and so intellectual and so articulate that he's still got millions of people following him. Look at the, there's different Chinese religions are the same way. They all have. And what I found interesting is after I started to do a lot more research, and in fact, I, I wrote about it in the book. If you go back even 5000 BC, interestingly, that this story of Jesus has been told an almost identical variation about five different times over the last 5,000 years. seems like about 5,000 years ago, and then 4,000, then 3,000, then 2,000. If you look through history, like uh, Horus, and I can't remember the name of some of the gods, but if you you look back 5,000 B.C. on what they believed, there was an actual identical prophet. He supposedly performed miracles, walked on water, came from virgin birth, had 12 disciples, he had a baptizer. He was raised from the dead, and he claimed to come back and was going to come back and, and, and uh, heal humanity. So my point is that all you have to do is look at history, and the, our, our humans, as you said, human natures, we're so scared of, of the unknown, so scared of the dark that for some reason we just keep coming up with these stories. And again, I, I didn't know – I didn't know that until I started to do my own research because I was never taught about it in Catholic or Christian school. Matter of fact, we were taught the opposite. Don't ever, don't ever look into reading or, or studying on your own. Don't look at any other books. Don't do any research. Just come to church, and we'll tell you what to believe. And, oh, by the way, just read this one book, this one. This is it, the Bible. Don't read any other books. This is it. And, then, and it took me to start to get out of that book and start to read the other books and to start look at science and do history and again, it, it struck me as awful funny that, like I said, at least five times over the last 5,000 years that this story of Jesus had almost word for word be, been told to the people of that generation. So that, that to me was a little odd. And like I said, um, I, I, won't, I won't stand here and deny the fact that the guys that wrote that book wrote that book. I'm just saying that it's going to be impossible in our lifetime to prove that it is in fact the Word of God. And that's what the teachings – I mean, you go back. I studied under Charles Stanley and, uh, and like I said, Pat Robertson. And then they'll tell you straight up if you ask them, do you believe the Holy Bible is the actual word of God, the divine word of God? They will tell you unequivocally absolutely yes. They believe that God inspired the authors to write those words and that then the, the scribes were also also ordained by God to write those words and translate those words without error. So they believe that those are the exact words of God. And all I'm saying is, one, you can't prove it. You'll never be able to. And two, there are at least – currently, there are at least eight different religions that all say the same thing. So how are you going to say, mine's right, yours is wrong? Because they have the exact same evidence in their defense as you do, as we do. So that's my whole point. Is That's why I love what I'm doing is because I'm opening the door and asking people to just do their own research. And again – I don't have a problem with what people believe. I honestly don't. If you want to maintain being a Christian, I think it's great. If that works for you, prayer works for you, and you believe you're building a personal relationship with God, that is fantastic. All I'm saying is that before you say, oh, this is it, I think you should at least look at your counterparts, read other books, look at evolution, look at, you know, And uh, a, a real good example is, like I said, uh, I, had a, uh, I wrote about it in the book. One of my wife's best friends was a school teacher. She's got a master's degree. And she's very intelligent and she still thinks that uh, the earth is six thousand years old. Well science has proven at least it's a hundred million. You know, I mean I mean we're we're the, the numbers are way off, you know, and so there, there's so many there's so many things. And again I asked Lori, I said, Lori, have you ever read the Quran? Have you ever been to Buddhist temple? Have you ever been looked at Judaism or, or the Torah or anything other guy? Nope, nope, nope. I've only read the Bible. Why? Well, because that's what my mom and dad told me to do. Well, interestingly, if if you were born in Jerusalem right now, if you were born in Jerusalem or Afghanistan, you wouldn't be a Christian, would you? You would be born into the Hindu or the Islam religion. Why? Because your parents were and your grandparents were. So strictly based on demographics, and everybody says, oh, God, every person on planet was created in God's image. Okay? Well, the person in in uh, Afghanistan, didn't choose to be born there. God, obviously if God exists, God placed him there. Well, he was placed in a family that believes in Islam. So again, strictly based on his demographic, determine his religious belief.
1: Well, you know, one of the things that we forget is that, you know, if if you were to... Be a true Christian, not one of these false prophets, not one of these false teachers, but a true Christian, having read the New Testament, you would realize that throughout the entire Bible, God gives us free will, a will to choose, a will to choose to follow him or to follow something else. Nowhere does he mandate you to be a follower of his. He gives you a choice to make. And what happens after that would be based upon your choice, good or bad. So, you know, there is a story that my bishop told me at one point, and he said he was in China. It was the first time he was at this one particular uh, church, the underground church it was, and he did his sermon. Uh, as he was leaving, a Chinese woman approached him. He said she must have been like 80 years old. And she said to him, Thank you. I never knew his name. Somewhere in us, we all have goodness, we all strive to be better, somewhere. Not everyone is able to recognize it, not everyone wants to act upon it, but he gives us a choice, and whether or not we recognize that choice. You don't have to be, as you said, a Christian per se, baptized in the Christian faith, but there's something that you have to recognize within yourself that is Christ-like, that wants to treat humans humanely. There's something within us, but we have to recognize it they have the free choice to act upon it, and that is
5: true Christianity. I- well, I think the same could be said for um, Islam. Obviously, islam there, I'm not, islam all, not all of the people.
1: Islam I've read the Quran. Well, so does, I have
5: read the Quran. I know. So have I. But so and does, Islam no, is, is submission. I know, but so does so does Christianity. Because if you remember, in Christianity, and here's here's one of the challenges. I was on a radio show the other day, and here's I, and you might have a better word for it, but if I'm not mistaken, I think at the end they called it the the, the Great Commission you know the disciples asked Jesus hey what do you want us to do and he said hey just i just want you to go into the world and and tell the world about me they called the great commission so that was his final commandment to them saying hey go out in the world and talk about me well that's that's what's happening is they're the i mean it's almost as if missionaries are going out with one purpose i'm not and again i'm not saying all of them but that i mean I still get these people coming to my door every day and they don 't care about anything but just trying to convert me to their belief. you know, hey, you must believe in Jesus Christ or you're going to hell you know and, and so they, they almost force it down your throat and my point is that you cannot take a child and I, I don't agree with with raising a child as being a Christian child or a Jewish child or a Islam or a Buddhist or whatever. I think you the children Need to open their minds and find their own truths, because again, we all have theories. They could all be right, or they could all be wrong. But you can't raise a child, and I'm a perfect example of that. I, I loved my father to death, but now looking back, the way he raised me in spirituality and religion was wrong. he He decided to put us you know because he was born into a Catholic family, he decided to raise me as a Catholic. Then he decided. That he was saved by dr charles stanley so he decided to make us christians and said hey this is how you get to heaven you must follow me well he'd never read the other books he never looked at the other theories and my point is that i don't believe that that's i mean in my opinion that's no different than than brainwashing a child you know you can call it what you want well islam's doing it they're brainwashing their children and obviously the children are going up flying planes in the buildings Well. Christians do the same thing. They're brainwashing them, and they're blowing up abortion clinics, or they're, they're hating on gay people you know, b- just because of what this book says. So all I'm saying is that in, instead of raising a, a society of people and saying, hey, you, you must believe – what I mean, think about it. What, that's the worst thing you can tell a child is, hey, either you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior or you're going to hell, and, and God's not going to love you. I mean, what do you think the kid's going to do? <laughs> you know? I mean, I, I did. Hell, I was again, scared to death. I still remember. That's not true. I still it, remember being a cat. That's not true Christianity. But I, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yeah, I, I'm just saying no, it is. because if, if you If you the truly
1: a Christian, line is, you accept anyone as they are. You, you hate the
5: sin, but no, no, love no, no, the no, sinner. No, 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 this, this exactly. no, no, no. Exactly. No, 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 no. What I'm saying is. Yep, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but what I'm saying is that it, according to the Bible, wait a second, according to the Bible, you either profess Jesus Christ as your Savior or you're going to hell. That's the message that you're sending a child. My point is that that's your theory. Which is a false message. Absolutely no way. That's you, a wrong message. But well, you mean it's a wrong message, it's exactly what the Bible says. Where? You must profess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's all it's all throughout the Bible. So, How do you think you get into heaven? As a Christian, as a Christian, you must you, you must accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and that he died for your sins on the cross, and that's the only way you're getting past St. Pete.
1: I, I, I'm trying to look for my note that I had put aside for this part of it because <laughs> – I'm
5: just saying, not in, exactly in, in, the, in Christian theology. No, no, no. In, in, in Christian theology is very simple. It's very simple. The message is very simple. Jesus Christ came to this earth to die for your, the, the sins of humanity, past, present, and future. I mean, that's all you got to do is listen to Dr. Charles Stanley. He's probably one of the most brilliant articulators of the Christian theology. And it, basically, it's real simple. It's real simple. You want to get into heaven. How do you get into heaven? You must profess with your mouth Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You have to say, I believe, I, uh, they call it the age of accountability. When you become of age and you can understand the concepts you must say out loud, I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. And by acknowledging that act, I can now get into heaven. That's why. That's, an, that's another issue that, that but, Christians are running into yeah, because what's happening but, is you can, take, you can take Mother Teresa or, 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 or one, of the, one of the most amazing saints on the planet that did nothing but kind things. But if they never professed Jesus Christ as their Savior, according to the Bible, they're not getting in. However, you could take Jeffrey Dahmer, who's one of the most evil people that ever walked the planet, and on his deathbed, on his deathbed, if he were to say – I accept Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Guess what? He's getting into the pearly gates past St. Pete. Because the Bible says very clearly, all you have to do is profess your faith in that act of God sending his son to die on the cross, and you're in. Sure. Well, that's, that's not exactly that's how, how it works so that. Jeffrey
1: Dahmer does that. God can't, God's going <laughs> to say, you're lying to me. He's going to say, you're lying to me, Jeffrey Dahmer. Uh-uh. Simply saying it out loud does not mean that you've actually taken his you know into your heart.
5: No, wait. No, no. How, do you, how do you know he's lying? How do you know he's lying? There's been, there's been millions of people, millions of bad people on their deathbed who, on their deathbed, priests came in, gave them their last rite, and they accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Who's to say they got it right or wrong? Who's to say that they didn't, at that point in their life, actually believe that they were a sinner and they professed with every molecule of their body that they were sinner. Trust me, the Bible says they're going to heaven. If they, Jim, all they have to do is profess that. Yes, sir.
2: Yeah, where, where I make the distinction between various religions is um, okay. freedom of choice and those that compel you to believe a certain thing where you, you don't have any choice. More like, like you said earlier, you know, when you're born in certain uh, regions or in a certain family that practices a certain religion, it could be Islam, it could be Jehovah Witnesses, you know, it could be a lot of things. But some people are compelled to, especially if you're a child, to believe in a certain thing and see where I make the distinction. Is that in, like in most Christ, Christian faiths, when you become a teenager or a young adult, you know, you have the freedom to follow that if you want to or not. Where some other religions that compel you to, it doesn't matter what age you are, you don't have the freedom to leave it or whatever, and, you know?
5: Yeah, but it you can leave at any problem. time. <laughs> My problem is, you won't find, no, you will not find a church in the United States, you will not find a church in the United States that teaches the Bible. And says to their congregation, whether they're adults or teenagers, hey, you ought to go read the Quran. You ought to go read the Torah. You need to visit a Buddhist temple. You ought to go hang out with some Amish. You ought to go to the Mormons. You need to go hang out with some atheists. No. They, hey, this is the divine word of God that we teach from. You read this book and this book only. That's my point, is that that, to me, is the definition of a cult. And they're all that way. They're all that way. So what I'm well, saying is well, it's, they, we, need, <laughs> we need to open the minds we need to open the minds of every individual and say, hey, look at all the because again whether you agree with me or not, I'm telling you that it, these are just theories. we only have theories. all we have is theories. We do not have there is no fact there is no way to prove there is no absolute way to prove that there is a God and that God sent his son here or not. There's no way to prove it Because if there were Then as a world We wouldn't be arguing about it You know what I jokingly said this The other day at a seminar I said Here's what I wish would happen If you want to prove That there's a God That now I believe in a creator And I don't know What that creator is And I don't want to use The word God Because I really don't know I believe that there's something Created the first spark of life But is there a gray haired man That's sitting on his throne That's judging humanity No I don't believe There's enough evidence But here's Here's what I would love to see This would be amazing Can you imagine that today At 4 o'clock in the afternoon The creator of the universe Appeared in the sky To the entire universe Reached out And grabbed the sun And, and put it behind his back And said hey You guys need to get along and play well with others Or I'm going to take my ball and go home Now I'm not talking about Talking to just a select few Like Pat Robertson or Benny Hinn Or people that claim they have a direct hotline to God I'm talking about God himself talking to the entire planet audibly, out loud, to where everyone can hear it. And he commands, look, either straighten your shit up, or I'm coming down there, or I'm going to take my fireball and go home because you won't live very long without that sun." Why can't he just do that? That's all it would take. But then people say, oh, well, then you wouldn't have to have any faith. Well, that's a load of crap. It's all blind faith. You know, they, and everybody's saying the same thing. Oh. We have faith in this. We have faith in that. Well, if it makes you feel better, great. But where the distinction is, how do we get people to stop, again, just like Quran, just like Christianity? We have Christians who read the Bible, take it and interpret it differently. They hate gays. They're blowing up abortion clinics. I mean, think about it. Every day from the history of time, we hear evil things being done to other people in the name of some religion. So there are going to be people that are going to take the word of either any book, and they're going to twist it, and they're going to do evil stuff. So what we've got to do is figure out how to be better to humanity. So. Well, it's been hey, a lot of Oh, thank you. i got another show coming up here in a minute, wait, but that, I appreciate anybody. Go to Jim Schreiner. Go to jimshriner.com or just type in. It's crazy. The Google search for Jesus Christ enough already is going crazy. So, go to Jesus Christ Enough Already or com. Please get a copy of this book. You support my cause. Um, and as I said at the opening of the show, my number one cause right now is to protect the children in the Catholic Church from being molested. My number two cause is I'm going to build a show called Defending My Faith. We're going to have a panel and we're going to, we're going to seek the questions. We're going to seek the answers to those two questions. Where do we come from and where do we go?
1: All right. Well, we can agree to disagree, but I look forward to it and good luck on that, Jim Shriner. Perfect.
5: Thank you. Hey, thank you for your time. Thank you guys.
2: All right. Jim. All
1: right, take care. <laughs> oh man. Before we sign off Curtis, I just want to give you a uh, a a quote here that came from a 16th century scientist and he said because of a rational god, the laws of nature must be orderly and worthy of exploration so that we, we may better understand God. So I I it I was thought I was prepared, <laughs> I, I for, but you know, <laughs>
2: I noticed he never mentioned what our purpose was for being here. He he talked about our coming here and where we're going, but never why we're here.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Well, it's been a lively show. I want to thank everyone that joined us in the chat room. I'm sorry we didn't get to cool. Mike had been on the phone early. Sorry, couldn't get ready to him over to him. Uh, But we're out of time and we're going to be back here. You're not going to be with us, Curtis. So Mike Hill is going to step into your spot. Oh, right. uh, What's that? All right. Yes, Mike Hill will be with us. We've mm. got the founder of the Walk Away Movement, Brandon Strucker, the one that has been getting so many Democrats to walk away from the Democratic Party. He'll be joining us. And we have young 12-year-old uh, Miller Browning, who started a – project called do work that matters um there's a possibility i may have a third guest i'm gonna to have to reach out to this person who's got a movie that's going to be showing only two days in october so if i can get him in on the 28th i'll try to help promote his film on that time but that's it that's all we got for today I want to thank everyone for joining us as always you guys rock and i'm sorry i screwed up the start of the show so badly oh man um but I'll leave you all with our closing song, if I can just pull it up here, When the Roll is Called Up Yonder. So until then, I say good night and God bless.
2: Take care, all.